Let the, word go the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s is a pioneering program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of shared values. Sixty years later, we examine our divisions, our connections, our shared pains and successes in a new program called Challenge 2.0. In last week's episode of Challenge 2.0, we began a conversation with the leader of the Ukrainian Association of Washington State. She has been working to support fellow Ukrainians ever since the Russians invaded last year. This week, we continue our exploration of what you don't hear or read in news reports and what we can do to help in part two of what Ukrainians want you to know. So this is a conversation that unfolds with changes daily as we see in newspapers, online, and certainly on television and radio. Uh, we're very fortunate to have someone who unfortunately is all too aware and familiar with this, and that is Tanya Zyka from Ukrainian Association of Washington State. Tanya, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and continuing this from what we talked about last week. Thank you for having me. Tanya, just give us, uh, for those that are joining us for the first time and missed last week, uh, tell us a little bit about the fact that you were born and raised in the Ukraine and that you ended up emigrating here. Tell us a little bit about that journey, if you would, and how that led you to begin offering support for the Ukrainian people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yes, I was born in, in Ukraine, what was then USSR, so mm -hmm. Ukraine was occupied by um, Russia as part of USSR. Um, and when USSR fell apart, my mom is an adventurous spirit, and she said, we're going to America in pursuit of happiness. So she took me and my little sister, I was 14 at the time, and we ended up in Seattle. So, um, but... I always been close spiritually to Ukraine. My sta my my father stayed in Ukraine. He mm -hmm. did not come here, so I went back and forth quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been going back lately after I started having uh, having children, and it was a lot more complicated to travel. Yes, yes. Um, but um, after the full scale invasion um, a year and a half ago. I started very actively volunteering for for the war effort and um, to help civilians and animals who are impacted by the war. And my focus is on those who are in Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. I know there's organizations and volunteers who help Ukrainians who came to Washington State, who came to America, but my focus in, is on those who are living the war today mm -hmm. in Ukraine. You mentioned children, and that's been one of the most troubling things that we've been witnessing on that. Uh, we've heard that the figures that hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have been uh, essentially forcibly deported to Russia. I'd like to hear about that, but we've also heard about children who were separated from their parents and they have been now sent to Russia. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, so you know how Putin is uh, proclaimed uh, a war criminal for kidnapping children, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what is happening in the occupied territories, and about 20% of Ukraine is occupied right mm -hmm. now. So in occupied territories, they take children, and um, in some instances, they separate them from parents and send them to um, 
camps mm -hmm. deep into Russia to keep them safe or to re-educate. Mm -hmm. So um, when we're talking about camps, filtration camps, re-education, um, that to me, it definitely reminds me of Hitler mm -hmm. and World War II. And it is happening today in Europe in, in today's time. So um, official statistics, uh, about 20,000 children were sent into Russia mm -hmm. to be re-educated. And um, we returned maybe a few hundred. So um, Putin is a war criminal, cr war criminal uh, for many things, mm -hmm. but officially for uh, kidnapping Ukrainian children. There's the level of the number of children that have been sent out like that. I should ask first, has there been any contact, any ability of the children to contact their parents or parents to contact their children that have been separated? I can't really speak on that part, but um, those a few hundred children who came back mm -hmm. in their interviews, they were telling that they were told that their parents um, don't want to talk to them anymore that they disowned their parents, that their parents died. Hmm. Um, the children who are being sent into Russia forcefully, um, if, if they're young toddlers or babies, my personal opinion, those are children who will be lost mm -hmm. to us forever. And uh, Russia actually passed the law to allow speedy adoptions into families. So some children get uh, officially adopted into Russian families even though their families still may very yes. well be alive and well and seeking yeah. to reunite with their yeah. children. And by law, you cannot adopt, uh, adopt children during a time of war. Mm -hmm. Even if I wanted to take in um, a Ukrainian orphan, mm -hmm. I would not be able to because in the time of war, because of all the chaos, you cannot um, do a good, a thorough job looking for relatives. Right. And um, right. so the normal adoption process would be after the war settles, you have enough time to look for relatives. You would ne definitely not uh, adopt them into enemy uh, country. Right. Yes. Right. Uh, are there any stories that you've heard over and above the children that have returned in terms of what their experience was like or from parents who are who must be grieving the loss of their children? Any stories that you could share with us on that? Uh, the stories um, most I think this um, kidnapping of children is in line for um, a genocide that mm -hmm. uh, Russia has mm -hmm. been doing and currently doing um, to Ukraine and um, killing, um, killing children and erasing their identity is mm -hmm. part of genocide of the, of the nation. So uh, the children that are being to sent to Russia, they're being re-educated, um, their history, uh, the language is taken away, you know, their roots are taken away, their identity is taken away. Mm -hmm. So those are the stories that I heard from interviews of children who came back. And you can only imagine once this is over, uh, the if children are brought back to the Ukraine, the degree of not only countering that education, but also the counseling, uh, dealing with the emotional scars oh, yeah. that they'll have. Yeah, it's a whole other subject because the whole country will be, um, will have PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress yes. disorder. Yes, yes. One of the other things that we've heard about in this country, and I think perhaps not greatly appreciated enough, 
was the blowing up of a dam. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people consuming it as a headline mm -hmm. or a brief news story, thought, okay, there was a dam that was blown up. But the damage and the implications of that extend far beyond that. Uh, can you unpack that for us a little bit, give us a better appreciation of what the implications are of that and what happened? Um, one of my friends who is in Ukraine and her mission is saving animals. Mm -hmm. She's uh, a, a person, a young lady, a normal person like all of us here. And um, she's single-handedly saved thousands of animals. Mm. And when the dam blew up, um, huge territories were flooded. Um, towns, villages uh, were underwater. Mm -hmm. And she went there in the water and she was pulling animals from windows, from the roofs, from, um, it, it's hard to talk about it. Uh, just imagine um, how many, um, and aside from human lives, um, entire uh, farm uh, lands were uh, flooded. Uh, there was images of cows drowning, horses mm -hmm. drowning. Um, I think after the beginning of the war, um, in 2022, blowing, blowing up of the dam was the second, second hardest um, experience for me mm -hmm. because of its magnitude. So let's talk about the dam in more general picture. So um, I don't know what to compare the territory that was flooded. Mm -hmm. I want to say as big as state of Washington it, it's humongous, it's enormous. And when um, the, wa uh, the dam sits on Dnieper River mm -hmm. that goes into Black Sea. So you have this massive uh, flow of now free water that was held back by the dam before mm -hmm. uh, going into the Black Sea. The ecological effect is horrifying because it, um, that territory also has a lot of chemical plants and industrial uh -huh. plants. So now you have all those plants that are destroyed and all the chemicals that are in the water right now that's rushing into the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. You have all the dead body bodies, all the animals that died, all the humans that died, uh, and decomposing and in the water. And it's uh, south of Ukraine, uh, southern part of Ukraine. So uh, the temperature is in, in the 80s. Right. So um, the toxic factor of um, everything that's in the water. Um, and that territory was um, under um, active war. Mm -hmm. So Russians don't pick up their dead bodies. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of um, decomposing um, old bodies and now new, new, new bodies. And they're all rushing into the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. And another um, uh, problem is was the amount of fresh water going into the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. Now the balance of the salt is ah. disturbed. And um, all the marine life that relies on a certain balance in the water, that marine life will be dead. And all the nearing countries so uh, who are surrounding the Black Sea, so there's, I, I believe there's uh, Romania, Moldova, um, Turkey, mm -hmm. Bulgaria, so all of those countries will be impacted. So I want to say after Chernobyl, this is the second largest um, ecological uh, tragedy that happened. And given what you described as the area covered by that, 
I would imagine there's a great deal of farmland when you talk yes. about cows. Will that not damage the ability of uh, people living in that area who farmed, raised crops, to do so for a very long time? You're, um, you're exactly correct. So that dam was uh, providing irrigation mm -hmm. to, uh, think of um, Eastern Washington. Mm -hmm. Think of Leavenworth and Wenatchee, uh, right. how much they depend on irrigation. And now when you don't have that irrigation, that land cannot produce. Mm -hmm. um, another very big concern is um, in Zaporizhia, city of Zaporizhia, there mm -hmm. is a nuclear power plant that relies on water to, to cool its um, reactors. Mm -hmm. So there's a big concern if there is not enough water, the reactors can overheat. And now we're talking another Chernobyl. So once you start looking at all the pieces and everything unravels, um, I, I don't have words about the consequences. You said this was one of the two uh, reports or uh, disasters that came from the war that most affected you. What was the other one? Well, the, the, the start of the actual the start of the war. Okay, the start of the war yes. and then this one. Yeah. I was. Um, I was in disbelief that this can actually happen mm -hmm. and nobody was doing anything about it. I felt like the world is just sitting there and watching. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably all saw the horrifying images of people, you know, with their dog under their arm and right, their right. baby and uh, f fleeing and, you know, it was just unbelievable. But to me, I was sitting and I was just in disbelief why nobody, why the West is not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Why are they letting this happen? And um, you and I talked about the uh, pair, uh, uh, similarities between World War II when right. Hitler was, you know, Hitler was just sitting there and, okay, what, what's going to happen if I take, Pol um, you know, che Czechoslovakia mm -hmm. or, uh, or um, Austria? Mm -hmm. He took a little bit here. The West didn't do anything. He took a little bit here. The West didn't do anything. So, and now he's all, um, he feels like he can do whatever he wants. And then mm -hmm. he started, uh, the World War II started. So very similar, um, uh, a lot of similarities between Putin because in 2014, mm -hmm. when he took Crimea and then he put his uh, troops in Eastern Ukraine, the West did what? We'll, right. we'll put some sanctions. You can't sell your tomatoes anymore mm -hmm. or fish or cheese. Like, uh, what is that all about? So Putin felt like, okay, there's no repercussions. And so he gathered up more military strength and attacked Ukraine in 2022. There, this follows a pattern uh, of uh, Russians putting Russians in mm -hmm. foreign territories mm -hmm. and then saying, well, we need to protect our people there. Yes, yes. So uh, just give us some examples mm -hmm. and explain that a little bit. Yeah. So um, as we talked uh, in uh, last episode, uh, there's uh, regions that are predominantly speaking Russian. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the reasons, official reasons, as Putin put them, is that we need to protect our people who are mm -hmm. oppressed that they cannot um, speak their own language, which is, which is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. um, in the eastern part of the country, Ukrainian language was oppressed. 
you couldn't find easily Ukrainian schools or Ukrainian, yes. So to make it even more ridiculous, most of the fighting, most of the active war is happening uh, on Russian-speaking territories. Mm -hmm. So most of the people they killed are Russian-speaking, mm. those who they came to protect and liberate. So um, uh, Crimea is very symbolic to Russia. Mm -hmm. Why is because Putin is portraying himself as this rebuilder of the Russian Empire. Mm -hmm. And he likes to compare himself to Peter the Great. Mm -hmm. And Peter the Great, his reputation is a re collector of the Russian lands. And um, this is why Crimea means so much to Putin personally, mm -hmm. is because he, um, that's I think the, the only big achievement that he brought to Russia in 22 years, he's at power, is to uh, steal that coveted piece of land mm -hmm. um, and um, give it give it to Russia. So there's a lot of different rumors, but if Crimea goes back to Ukraine, um, it will be the end of Putin because he will lose support. I don't know if that's true because um, what um, propaganda is doing to the Russian people is uh, they're very, very good. They're excellent mm -hmm. for, uh, at what they're doing and um, brainwashing. So I'm sure they will find a way to sell the loss of Crimea as a victory somehow. Well, we saw the effectiveness of uh, media-sponsored campaigns out of Russia in this election oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. back some years. And speaking of which, in American politics, uh, there are political leaders who have not only defended Russia, uh, expressed admiration for Putin, and uh, have shown a lack of any interest on the impact of uh, people living in Ukraine. Uh, what goes through your mind when you hear those sorts of statements? And as you talk to fellow Ukrainians, what do they talk about? Uh, what do they say is the impact on them when they hear statements like that? Um, well, those who fled the war, um, they just feel how anyone could justify, you know, killing, mm -hmm. killing those who were not fortunate enough to flee the war, but just to, in any shape or form, justify this inv invasion. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, no matter what you try to come up as excuses, mm -hmm. and all of those excuses to me are silly, um, there's just no justification, um, or even trying to try to understand Putin or what mm -hmm. pro provoked him. There is just no no reason to um, to start a war. Um, but when um, the big significance of not letting Russia win, or rather a big significance of supporting Ukraine in her win, mm -hmm. victory, is we need to put give examples of uh, other dictatorships and mm -hmm. other aggressive countries that they cannot bully their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure that China is watching what's going to happen, mm -hmm. and there's Taiwan. The Saudi Arabia is watching what's going to happen. So I, uh, the way I explain it to my children, if there's a bully mm -hmm. in your school who's you know, bullying all the smaller children, if you don't do anything to stop, other bullies will start doing that mm 
mm -hmm. be because there is no punishment. So aside from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, we need to show the world that attacking other countries is not going to be tolerated. Mm -hmm. There's a term called compassion fatigue, and it relates to people hear enough about attacks or atrocities, whatever they may be, uh, and that seems to be a little bit in evidence in the United States and also in Europe. It would seem that perhaps the biggest counter to that might be the power of personal stories, that statistics sort of wear thin after a while, but personal stories really can have a motivating impact. If you were to share a personal story that you have heard of somebody in Ukraine and what they've dealt with, a family perhaps, what would that be? Um, so some of the projects that we, uh, that I personally mm -hmm. uh, oversee and manage is um, working with um, horse rescues. Mm -hmm. And um, one approach that we developed is instead of giving them money to the horse rescue, uh, we, um, we find children and uh, volunteers uh, who have work, uh, been working uh, tirelessly for the war effort and also families of those who lost um, fathers at the front. Mm -hmm. So we've, we organized uh, tours and workshops to the horse rescue to bring them over and just get lost in this uh, beautiful paradise of the little farmland where mm -hmm. the horses are. Mm -hmm. And so instead of mo giving money directly to the, to the rescue, we get so many people involved. So the effect is a lot uh, bigger. And um, the organizer, my, my um, fellow uh, volunteer who was organizing it, there's two um, young men who came from the front, mm -hmm. from active fighting um, to Kiev uh, for, for just for a few days to rest. And they were invited to, to the workshop. And the workshop was, um, you know, cleaning the horses, uh, learning how to um, take care of their feet, mm -hmm. you know, uh, feeding them, uh, washing them. And she said these two men who came, young men, and you can tell they were um, super, they were exhausted. You can see in their eyes right. that they came literally from the trenches. They were killing people. They were among the dead. And uh, it just, I can't even imagine what they're going through. And they came to, to this workshop uh, by chance, by accident. Um, and they, she said, they all of a sudden their faces just changed. They were like little children. Mm -hmm. And um, these, uh, the horrors that they've been experienced left them for even few hours, mm -hmm. and they were just. Um, they she saw she said they she saw um, light in their eyes just because they, for a few hours they could forget about what's uh, where they came from and what's awaiting them in a couple of days again. These stories touch me very very much. Mm -hmm. um, one another project that we do is um, we um, I ask for everybody who works at uh, corporate jobs mm -hmm. to see if they can donate their un, un, um, computers mm -hmm. that are no longer needed to, uh, to me 
through, you know, uh, through Ukrainian Association of Washington State, and we can send them to children in Ukraine so that they continue to study because uh, education is uh, remote right now because uh, most schools don't have bomb shelters. Mm -hmm. And when I see uh, these computers being handed out to uh, children who are in occupied, who, in, who were in occupied territories, but now they've been liberated because uh, Russian troops um, took everything from those families. Mm -hmm. They were going through houses and apartments and just taking all the valuables. So kids um, had no computers or no, no phones to do remote learning. So when you see this girl with her new computer uh, so she can study mm -hmm. again, uh, to me that, um, that keeps me want to do more. And that brings me to the compassion fatigue. Um, right. To me personally, not to get fatigued, I need to see the results of mm -hmm. our work. It's very therapeutic for the children that are going to workshops, the soldiers uh, that are taking time, and just for people to be able to connect and see the humanity yeah. in all of that. And of course, for people wanting to help, uh, you maintain a web presence, Ukrainian Association of Washington State. We're going to put up an example of that yes. so Thank that you. people can get in touch. Because a natural uh, outcome, I think, of a conversation such as this is people are moved and they want to be able to uh, help. Well, Tanya, thank you so much. I think it's impossible not to have been moved by the stories that you've shared and to expand our understanding of what has been going on uh, in the Ukraine leading up to where we're at. So again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and being with us on Challenge. And I hope that we can have another conversation sooner as opposed to later about the reconstruction of Ukraine and the many success stories that are going on over there. So I will be going and I'm taking my teenage kids to reconstruct. <laughs> well, then we'll look forward to those stories. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. And thank you for joining us on this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.